Hello and welcome to the podcast of tech.eu. I am your host, Andre Degler, and today we are going to talk about Northvolt, Spotify, Uber, Freenow, and much more. Also later in the show, I will play an interview with the tech journalist Jonathan Keane about the state of Irish tech ecosystem these days. Now, before we get into that, let me walk you through a couple of European tech news stories of the week that I have found interesting and worth discussing. So, big funding news story of the week. Obviously, Sweden-born battery maker Northvolt has raised 600 million US dollars. And just a few months ago, the company already raised 1.6 billion US dollars. And last year, uh, in June, it landed another 1 billion US dollars. So, in total, Northvolt has now raised more than 3.5 billion billion US dollars and its first so-called gigafactory is still under construction in northern Sweden. It is expected to be operational next year. The company also plans to build another factory in Germany. Uh, that one is to be launched in 2024 and currently Northvolt is applying for a permission from the German authorities to build this one. So Northvolt seemed to be on track to become one of Europe's most important lithium-ion battery cell producers, in particular for for electric cars. It has already got a 2 billion euro contract with BMW, uh, which also invested in Northvolt in one of the previous rounds, and another German car manufacturer, Volkswagen, has participated in the round announced last week. And the other institutional investors uh, of the current round were Bailey Gifford, Goldman Sachs Merchant Banking Division, Baron Capital Group, Britford Investments Limited, and Norsken VC and uh, PCS Holding. What's more interesting Interesting in this deal, however, and I, I am sorry for bear, bearing the lead here, so bear with me a little bit, is that there were also two private investors who participated in this round. And the first one is Christina Stenbeck, the Swedish entrepreneur and investor, the principal owner of the investment company Kinnevik and a board member of Zalando and Spotify and many other companies. And the second private investor in the deal was Daniel Ek, uh, the founder and CEO of Spotify, who said only last week that he was going to spend one billion euros of his own wealth to fund European deep tech moonshots, in his own words. So it appears that Northvolt is the first moonshot Ack is investing in. But I have to say, to me, this does not really make that much of sense. Because like, here is what Ack said when he announced this pledge uh, last week. And I think time and time again, we see our brilliant entrepreneurs still handing over their companies to the largest bidder before their ideas have ever been fully realized or Indeed, even before they have time to evolve into something even more promising. And I think too often we see all the well-educated talent I've spoken about in max exodus to the US. So if you look at almost any specialty, take AI for example, you'll find representatives of every country in Europe often leading those teams at your Googles, Facebooks, Apples, Teslas, and Amazons. So you got names like Jeffrey Hinton, Demis Asavis, Jan-Andre Lecun, Andre Kapothi, and John Giandria, just to name a few. And I get really frustrated when I see European entrepreneurs giving up on their amazing visions by selling very early in the process to bigger non-European companies. Or when some of the most promising tech talent in the world automatically leaves Europe because they don't feel valued here or because there's no company in Europe that matches their ambition. We need more super companies that raise the bar and can act as an inspiration. So what I would expect to see coming out of uh, this kind of commitment are deals where X money would actually make a difference. You know, like 
if there's a situation where the founders would have sold the company if they were not able to find money and then this money comes from uh, this uh, uh, from this pool things like that but this is certainly not the case with Northvolt. Uh, they don't seem to be considering selling their business to Tesla or anybody else. Actually, it was uh, uh, two former employees of Tesla who founded the company. And it also does not seem like Eck has contributed a large part of this round either. After all, he's only got 1 billion euros to invest over the next decade. And uh, this whole round was about half of that amount. So, a solid investment decision, absolutely, no doubt. But not quite a moonshot I was expecting to see here. Anyway, if you want to to change my mind on that, if you think you understand something better than myself, do email at podcast.techeu or ping me on Twitter at tech underscore EU. I am very happy to be challenged on this one. Moving forward though, Uber. Uber has got its London license back. The three-year-long saga continues, and this time it seems like Uber has actually managed to score some points in its fight with Transport for London. To recap a little bit what's been happening over the past three years, I'm going to play a brief fragment of this podcast from a year ago, where Natalie Novik and I discussed the news of Uber losing the license in the first place. Uber has failed to get a long-term operating license in London, and the reason cited by Transport for London could actually lead to more problems for the company. So according to TFL, a security failure in the app allows for unauthorized drivers to work on the platform. And it turns out that this security breach is actually being used quite widely. So let's start from the beginning to understand what's actually happened on Monday. And to do that, we will first have to go back two years to September 2017. And that was the last time when Uber actually was in possession of a long-term operational license in London. Back then, in 2017, Uber applied for an extension, but TfL declined the request citing security reasons. Then, nine months later, in June 2018, Uber actually managed to get a license. But it was a 15-month provisional one, and that license expired two months ago in September, and Uber hoped, again, that it would get a full five-year license afterwards. But that didn't happen, and TfL only gave it a two-month temporary reprieve. And these two months ended on Monday. But this time, TfL refused to give Uber any extension at all, effectively banning the company from the British capital. As it usually happens, though, Uber plans to appeal the decision, which will effectively postpone the ban. So theoretically, with all this uh, uh, appeal process, Uber could still reverse the decision of uh, TfL. But for some reason, I'm quite certain that it won't happen. And here is why. So the key issue that TfL based its decision on is the change in Uber's platform that allegedly allowed drivers to upload new photos to their accounts. But what it actually means in practice is that one account could be and has been used by multiple drivers, most of whom obviously were not authorized or checked by Uber. So it's pretty simple. One driver gets authorized and checked, and then other drivers can just upload their photos when they're working under that account. And that, of course, goes against all sort of uh, security and safety policies of Uber and Transport for London. So here's a quote from the statement that uh, TfL issued on Monday. This allowed them to pick up passengers as though they were the booked driver, which occurred in at least 14,000 trips, putting passenger safety and security at risk. This means all the journeys were uninsured and some passenger journeys took place with unlicensed drivers, one of which had previously had their license revoked by TfL. The quote ends. 14,000 trips is a lot. It's a lot even for London, really, uh, which is a major 
major market for Uber. And the company said earlier that it had 3.5 million users in the city and 45,000 registered drivers. TfL also mentioned uh, that, in its opinion, Uber did not do enough to address another issue, that is to prevent dismissed or suspended drivers from creating new accounts and working on the platform again. So, in response, Jamie Haywood, Uber's regional general manager for Northern and Eastern Europe, said the following. The quote begins. Over the last two months, we have audited every driver in London and further strengthened our processes. We have robust systems and checks in place to confirm the identity of drivers and will soon be introducing a new facial matching process, which we believe is a first in London taxi and private hire. The quote ends. So, what it comes down to for now is that Uber will appeal the decision and it will be operating in London still while this process is underway, which could be a while. I think it could take months or whatever. Uh, But during that time, it will have to prove to a magistrate that it has done enough to fix the issues, from the photo swapping all the way to preventing uh, dismissed uh, drivers to create new accounts. Uh, The issue with photo swapping, however, it just sounds absolutely massive, and I'm wondering whether it is limited to the UK, which I totally don't see any reason for. So, if more cities will now look closer at this glaring security fiasco, Uber is facing a much bigger problem than just losing the license in London. As our friend Martin S.F.P. Bryant wrote in his newsletter Big Revolution, and I quote, at the very least, it's a PR crisis. In recent months, the company has introduced new safety features and bought advertising, explaining how safe it is to use as it looks to distance its image from the reckless Travis Kalanick era. TFL's allegation flies in the face of all that work. The quote ends. So, Natalie, I'm, I know you're not a fan of Uber, but still, like, what's your take on this? What do you think will happen? Yeah, so, I, I mean, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that I have a number of issues with Uber, but I still use it primarily because the safety issue. I feel comfortable as a single person traveling by myself often to use Uber over using a local taxi hire. I've used Uber in, in over three different continents, different countries, different different areas, and I've always felt pretty safe using it. So this is a real challenge. Um, and it's, I think it's also a very egregious safety problem um, that TFL has identified here, especially because Uber has really, in the last few weeks, it's very noticeable how they've been trying to really highlight their safety concerns as being their real unique value for passengers. So um, I'm really appreciative that TFL has, has identified the problem, but it seems like, unfortunately, Uber really won't feel much of a sting from this, especially if they have new processes that are in development in London and in el- elsewhere. Now, three years later after 2017, one year later after that podcast came out, Uber is now found, quote-unquote, fit and proper to operate in London, which actually, I have to say, proves my forecast from a year ago wrong, while Natalie's take was much more accurate. And just to make it clear, uh, this whole license kerfuffle has not actually changed much for Uber's customers in London, because from November until now, Uber has been still very much operational in the British capital because it appealed the TFL's initial decision uh, 
uh, as I mentioned before, and it was hence allowed to stay on until a final decision were made, which is sort of now. So according to a report by CNBC, Judge Tan Ikram of the Westminster Magistrates Court said last Monday that he had sufficient confidence that Uber no longer poses a risk to public safety. Uh, also further in the report, CNBC quotes Mario Zabrotsky, uh, the UK general manager at FreeNow, which is one of Uber's competitors. And uh, Zabrotsky said that, I quote, we welcome Uber back among quote-unquote fit and proper operators. Regardless of the decision taken in this specific case, we hope that the process has sent a clear and impactful message to all operators that cutting corners and potential endangerment of drivers and passengers will not be tolerated in London. The quote ends. And yes, I would not normally include a sort of a hollow quote like this uh, in the podcast, but it's just funny uh, that FreeNow would be the one to comment, and it also allows for a smooth transition into the uh, next piece of news that I've got for you. So it turns out that FreeNow could actually be the next line in Uber's shopping list in Europe. Bloomberg reports that Uber is indeed considering buying FreeNow, which is a joint venture of Daimler and BMW. Uh, FreeNow also used to be known under a different name, you may have heard that, it was called My Taxi before, and the name change in this case, I would say, is a good contender for the dumbest rebranding of the decade. Anyway, Bloomberg reporters have talked to unnamed sources, and these sources say that Daimler and BMW have not been able to attract additional investors for this venture and hence decided to sell the asset away. It also appears to be another example of big car industry players getting disillusioned about mobility services. As the analysts quoted by Bloomberg put it, I quote, the traditional industry has begun to realize it's been wasting a lot of time, effort and money by trying to compete in these areas with questionable medium and long-term returns. The quote ends. And the areas in question are ride-hailing, but also car-sharing and uh, things like that. Reportedly, it is hard to say yet whether Uber will actually purchase FreeNow, but according to the sources, Uber is interested and the conversations are ongoing. Now, it is the interview time, and I am very pleased to pass the proverbial mic to Robin Wouters, who has interviewed a big friend and frequent contributor to TechEU about the state of the startup ecosystem in Ireland. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, this is Robin Walters from Tech.U indeed. And I am joined here remotely, of course, this time from Dublin by Jonathan Keane. He is an Irish tech uh, journalist. He's been writing for TechU for quite a while. He used to write our news and now uh, often contributes with very, very good profiles and interviews of uh, European entrepreneurs. Jonathan, very good to see you again. And thank you for joining the podcast. I think this is your first time. It is. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, can you uh, maybe give a little bit of background about yourself for people who don't know you? Uh, yeah, so as as you mentioned, I've been contributing to TechEU for a number of years, um, kind of on and off over the last while. Um, I've obviously been covering European tech and Irish tech for a number of years. Um, most recently, I was in a, in a role with a, an Irish publication called Fora, which unfortunately uh, shut down earlier this year. So I returned to the, the freelance beat, uh, covering a lot more kind of European tech lately, and been doing a lot of stuff with TechEU. So that's kind of my my history in a nutshell. Great. Well, thanks for joining uh, the show. And um, maybe just explain the, the the job that you had with Fora. Did it shut down because of the pandemic or was it unrelated? Um, it, it was related to cost cutting that went on at the parent company um, back in April. Um, obviously, a lot of media companies were feeling the pinch at the time with advertising revenue just drying up very quickly. So unfortunately, a lot of hard decisions that we made. One of them was shutting down Fora and that meant uh, four jobs were, were gone, myself included. 
that's just what happened back in back in April. So um, it wasn't unique to, to us, but unfortunately, it happened. Yeah, and um, maybe just a claim before we start talking about tech, uh, how's Ireland been coping with this uh, with this pandemic? Because I really haven't paid that much attention to what Ireland's been doing. Uh, well, we've seen unfortunately a spike in cases in the last few weeks, and um, we're talking around going to end of September. We had a, a good scene there. I think around maybe end July, August, uh, cases were low. Unfortunately, we started seeing a spike again, and um, coming into kind of uh, three digits, kind of around the 250, 300 cases a day numbers. Um, so unfortunately, that's just kind of a result, I guess, of restrictions being loosened. Um, you know, restaurants opening up again, and people kind of start moving outside the home. People come back to the office if they can. I guess that's a byproduct of that. So unfortunately, there's been some new restrictions introduced, uh, specifically here in, in Dublin, um, to kind of curtail more uh, more cases spiking up. So unfortunately, it's kind of an up and down situation um, in Ireland. But um, again, I think that seems to be happening in a lot of European countries as well. Yeah, well, glad to see that you're at least uh, staying safe and sane. And maybe just uh, you know, just to go go on uh, with with that topic, like has the pandemic had a massive effect on on the Irish startup ecosystem in particular? Uh, from your view as a tech journalist, of course. Uh, the the effect on Irish startups has been kind of strange because um, you, you see some figures coming out, say from the Irish Venture Capital Association, um, for the second quarter showing kind of a, like almost like record numbers of investment in startups during that quarter. Um, somewhere around 360 million was invested in startups in that quarter. But they were all uh, uh, VCs investing in their portfolio companies, existing companies. There was a, a, a stark drop of about 60% in kind of first-time first deals for companies. So that's sort of feeding into fears around how investors are going to kind of open up their purse strings in the coming months and even years maybe uh, just want to be backing the horses that they know are, are good rather than uh, investing in new companies and that that could cause a lot of problems for you know first-time founders and, and new startups that are coming around so again it, we're, we're what six seven months into this pandemic it's, it's, i guess it is still the great unknown but as the numbers kind of start to emerge we are seeing that uh, maybe for seed rounds this could get could, could get ugly for, for them if they're looking to raise money for the first time. But investors, you know, I guess they, they want to shore up their bets as well. Yeah, of course. And we, we've had a number of conversations with investors uh, on the podcast as well, and they say the same thing. You know, it's, it's better to just double down on your winners and try to sort of weather the storm with, with, with the ones that you know, you know might be successful over time rather than backing early stage startups, which is already quite a risky thing to do. But like in these times, it's, it's even more more of a question mark, I guess. Uh, but yeah, comparable numbers, I guess, in, in, in Europe. Like uh, funding has been relatively high uh, across sectors, across geographies, but the early stage is hurting quite a lot. So so we've seen quite a dip. But also remember, like back in April, they were running sort of surveys with early stage startups where a lot of them said, like, we're not going to have uh, enough cash to last through sort of September, October, which is sort of the six-month time frame. Uh, we're now uh, in those months. Like we're now in that time frame. Um, do you see a lot of Irish startups already struggling and then shutting down and then, you know, or selling themselves for, for cheap? Or is that already the case in Ireland? Um, I haven't seen many cases of shutting down or, um, you know, being sold for, for cheap or anything like that. Um, I, I guess, as you said, it's you know, September, October time now. 
uh, we might kind of start to see those issues coming up. I mean, there were some companies, there was uh, one, one startup back in early lockdown called Bamboo, which did kind of click and collect for food businesses. Uh, that went into liquidation, almost more or less shut down until some investors were able to uh, buy it out of liquidation and, and relaunch the business. That's probably a good example of, of one company because obviously they were, they were reliant on, on footfall um, around you know, city centres. They partner with cafes and restaurants. You know, you're, you're in the office and you you book your food and you go pick it up. Everyone's working from home. Obviously, then that, that whole kind of market is gone. So that's kind of one example of, of one maybe company that struggles. So we, well, we haven't seen as many of them. and I, Maybe we will soon. I, I can't say for certain, but uh, as I said, you know, money will start drying up for, for a lot of companies. But again, as I mentioned as well, investors are, are, are interested in putting money into help, helping those startups if they feel they are viable as well. Yeah, of course. And, and what about the big tech companies? Because I know a lot of them have significant presence in, in, in Dublin and beyond, uh, in Ireland in general. Uh, have they been feeling the effects of the pandemic a lot? Like, have they been sort of making decisions and in, in, in shutting down offices or, or, or sort of a freezing hiring or whatever? Uh, I've certainly heard about a lot of hiring freezes, um, but probably the big news obviously recently was Google um, opting out of a lease on some ex- extension ex- extension on their office space in Dublin. They had a building that they were supposed to move into called the Sorting Office. Uh, it would hold about 2,000 workers. Um, they decided not to proceed with that deal um, because well, I guess everyone's working from home. But in, in in the grand scheme of things, though, it was kind of a, a short-term fix for them. They have obviously a large office in Dublin with about 8,000 workers. And they had two more buildings that they had purchased in the last year or so um, that they would move more workers into them. And this kind of lease deal on the sorting office was supposed to be a short-term thing where it says, well, well as we're growing, we'll put up people in this office here and then eventually into the offices that we've bought. So now with people working from home, that office wasn't really needed. But it did set off alarm bells as far as, you know, all these big companies with all these big office spaces, do they really need them anymore? I mean, they will They will still need them. I mean, I, I don't know if the work from home thing is going to be an absolute. There will be people going back to the office in, in some form. It just matters well, how many days a week or how many do you bring back? How many do you maintain as a remote? So that would be a big question. It's going to hang over, I guess, real estate um, experts over the, next, over the coming months and years as far as what kind of space people want to buy up, if they, how many people are going to need them for. Um, but there are a several you know, big office developments in Dublin right now, like LinkedIn, Salesforce, MasterCard, all building out big offices, either around Silicon Docks or kind of outside the city as well. So there are a lot of kind of deals in play. Those offices will be finished at some point and staff will move into them. So there's sort of a a, a strong pipeline there. But I think there will be definitely people, you know, people in in companies rethinking, you know, the real estate strategy when when it comes to, uh, you know, 2021. Yeah. You, you say it's setting off uh, some alarm bells. Does it also mean that you can see uh, policymakers or, or people from the, the ecosystem actually taking action to sort of mitigate the, the negative effects of the pandemic and, and coming together to sort of uh, you know have an action plan or a strategy for recovery? Uh, as far as uh, office buildings go? Yeah, in general, to helping, helping tech startups and tech companies in general get back on their feet. Uh, as far as the, the, the tech startups go, um, there's obviously a, good, a lot of organizations here that are uh, trying to kind of support companies and, and help kind of with the policy side of things, kind of talking to politicians. And one of them is called Scale Ireland, and they, they help a lot of companies, startups to, you know, understand, you know, tax policy, for example, or how, how to talk to politicians about these sort of things. And 
the big theme coming up in October will be the budget in Ireland and there'll be more calls for the tax incentives for investors to, to invest in those early stage startups that struggle to raise money and are even struggling even more now. So there, there's, there's certainly a lot of these efforts now to kind of get the ear of politicians and say, hey, look, uh, startups need a little more help right now, especially the early stage ones. Well, we'll definitely be watching uh, the budget and I'm sure we'll hear from you uh, once it's sort of uh, announced. Um, it's been a joy following you on Twitter as well. It keeps me updated on all things Irish tech. Uh, can you sort of give a, a little bit of a summary of what's going on? Because I can see TikTok being mentioned a lot, the Irish Data Protection Agency, which is in the news quite a lot for different reasons. Uh, but yeah, what would you say is sort of the biggest news uh, from the, the big tech space in Ireland these days? Yeah, I think it's definitely the Data Protection Commissioner, um, Helen Dixon, and her office are obviously in the firing line for a lot of people and they're, they're in a very high profile position. Uh, obviously, the big thing is the argument with uh, with Facebook over uh, transfers of European data to the US and ordering that to stop. Um, that's going to be something that's play, that plays out in the courts for quite some time. I'm, I'm, almost re- I'm reluctant to kind of make any kind of predictions and that sort of thing. But um, obviously, people probably saw the news very recently about uh uh, Facebook's sworn affidavit in, in in court as far as saying they may pull out of Europe um, if, if this ruling goes ahead. That's probably a lot, a lot of bluster on their part. But, you know, it, it, it speaks to the um, the concern that Facebook would have for you know, the power that regulators are, are, are wielding now. And the, uh, the Data Protection Commissioner, just as a result of you know Facebook and so many other companies, Google and many others being headquartered in Ireland, has jurisdiction over these companies, which probably um, doesn't match up with the resources that the DPC actually has. So that's kind of, kind of a, a tit for tat there as far as how much resources, how much power um, the DPC has, and they're up against, you know, these massive you know, multinational tech companies. So that's certainly the one, the one to watch. That'll have implications well outside of Europe. Yeah, we'll definitely be watching. What about TikTok? Because Ireland was mentioned somewhere in this uh, this fight between the US and China over TikTok. Uh, what was the deal there? Yeah, so um, Ireland was sort of caught in the middle somewhere with the the TikTok stuff and uh, in the US. Um, obviously, TikTok announced recently that it's going to open up a data center in, in Ireland and that's going to store all data on European users. Um, and also the TikTok its Irish entity has been designated as as it's responsible for data protection in in Europe. So it will be answerable to DPC, like we were talking about earlier. So um, Ireland has um, a a place, certainly in in TikTok. I don't know how TikTok is going to uh, shake out, you know, who who really is going to own it and all that kind of stuff. It's it's hard to predict. But again, even going back to the office stuff as well, there's no reports going around, but they're looking for a large office space to drop uh, 5,000 workers in, in Dublin. And uh, that would be a significant expansion of what they have. I think they have somewhere three to 400 right now. And there's all kind of trust and safety and a few other roles, but clearly there's a large expansion going on there. Obviously, they have a large presence in London too that's growing quite a lot. So um, Europe is sort of an, an odd one for TikTok because everyone's talking about the US operations, but Europe is a sizable operation with them as well. And we'll, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to fit into whatever kind of deal is struck with the Trump administration and whenever that closes. Yeah, well, neither do I. <laughs> Very hard to make predictions on that. On that. But um, yeah, and any other uh, recent developments in, in the tech sector that you think might be interesting for our pan-European or international audience? Uh, what do we need to know about what's going on in Ireland? Um, I think one to watch, just a, maybe a bit of a weird one, um, one a startup called Mana, which does uh, drone deliveries. Um, raised some money not too long ago, but uh, they, they sort of hit a, 
bit of a rough patch with the with the pandemic. Their their plans to launch were, were, were sidelined with the the pandemic. They're supposed to kind of you know, fast food delivery with just eat and a few restaurants and testing it out in parts of Ireland. And they're actually going to be doing grocery delivery soon with uh, Tesco. And they're planning that out and doing a test there. I think that'd be one to kind of watch because um, it, it kind of touches on a lot of things, you know, on-demand delivery and uh, also regulation as far as, you know, aviation authorities, what are they going to think about this? So I think that's they're one very interesting company that I think people should probably keep an eye on. Great. Any other startups? I know I'm putting you on the spot there, but <laughs> any other startups that you think might be interesting for us to know about? Uh, one company that raised a lot of money um, earlier this year, uh, around about $16 million, was uh, Evervault, a cybersecurity company. Um, founded by a chap called Shane Kern. He's 19 or 20 years old, only a young guy, uh, but he raised uh, 60 million for that company earlier this year on top of uh, Seabound last year, which had actually um, Sequoia Capital and uh, Finer Perkins and um, putting money into this you know, small little Irish cybersecurity company. Um, but I think people are expecting kind of big things from this company um, considering they've probably got a big vote of confidence from these big name investors. So that's, that's probably another one you should keep an eye out probably in the coming year. Great. Well, I hereby commission you to do uh, two, two profiles on those, <laughs> those uh, two companies. <laughs> but thank you if you uh, if you have time and uh, if you want to. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's all the questions that I have. Thank you so much for giving us some insights into what's happening in uh, in Ireland over there. Uh, I hope you keep safe and I hope the restrictions uh, you know get loosened quite soon because it sounds like it's very strict over there. Oh, great. No, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. I am going to talk to you next Monday. In the meantime, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.